0: House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. We are at the interview part of the show, and uh, joining us today, uh, we have the one and only sketch cop, he's uh, returning, he's been here before, Uh, Michael Street. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Alan. Thanks for having me back. So, um, what happens with the sketch cop during COVID? Like, how how, how are things changed for you, and uh, what do you notice? The biggest differences are.
1: Well, I think the biggest differences is, is that I've noticed right away was the drop in police agencies actually, um, you know, creating and publishing composite sketches, and I think that's because there's a reluctance to um, to have that. You know, that personal contact, that close in contact. A lot of police agencies were um, shutting down their uh, lobbies, which made it uh, difficult for, you know, people to make contact with the police. And detectives were, you know, having to hustle people through the back door. And it turned out that a lot of police administrations didn't want outsiders in the building if they could uh, at all avoid that. So for me, uh, because this is, you know, when you sit down with an eyewitness, it's a very personal contact type of thing. Uh, we just did like everyone else did. And we adapted uh, technology like Zoom and video cameras and such to to uh, create remote interview scenarios, and that's been kind of hard for police to wrap their head around. Uh, but it works, and it's worked uh, fine. So I've been just uh, fighting to educate the police departments and uh, keep the work coming in.
0: Wow. So. Now, so maybe uh, let's go over the uh, basics of what a sketch cop does. W- what, is, what is the basic idea behind it, and, and what's, your, what's your day look like?
1: Well, the whole idea of, you know, providing a police sketch for people, what my business, Sketch Cop Solutions, does, is we provide investigative support for law enforcement who are seeking facial identification solutions like composite sketches, postmortem imaging of deceased persons, actual full-on skull reconstructions, uh, unknown uh, homicide victims where you just find the bones and such, age progression of missing children and fugitives. And a big thing now is a one-to-one uh, facial analysis and comparison of both uh, known to unknown criminal suspects. And I've actually been getting into the collector's world. I get a lot of requests for uh, people that have what they believe to be valuable photographs of well-known people, and I get asked to analyze those for uh, some sort of provenance or veracity in terms of... Uh, you know, I you know I, I guess it's one of those things where I'm the arbiter of whether that you know person has something really valuable or not. But um, going back into the, the criminal part of it, uh, my day pretty much is run by my uh, by phone or emails and such. Um, I, you know, I have a presence out there on the internet. Uh, I do a certain amount of marketing with police departments, and um, lately uh, I've gone international. Um, we've opened up a channel in India to provide forensic facial imaging services, a law enforcement there. I just recently uh, w- reached out, an agency in, in the United Arab Emirates reached out to me. Uh, they want to send me a skull, uh, which is pretty exciting because, you know, usually most of the stuff has been domestic police work. So to get in to do international cases is pretty exciting.
0: Well, how, how do they send you a skull, just in the mail? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I,
1: I wanted to take a, st- I wanted to stop and breathe for a second because that last segment went on uh, quite, quite a long time. But this is where the, the again, adapting to the remote environment, they can actually uh, take a CT scan of the skull and upload it to a file sharing service. I download it, I create a three D model from that, and I do a virtual sculpting on it, and I send them a file back via a file share service like Dropbox or. Um, we transfer any one of the many that are out there, and um, they get it right back. So, you know, some some corners offices still send me a, a, a skull in a box, so to speak. Um <laughs> playing the jack the boxer really seriously when they when they send you. You tell them to send you a clean skull, and, and I guess we all have differences in what we think are clean, and um, you don't know if a bug's going to come crawling out of the box or what's there—half a skull, full skull. You know, it just. It's like Christmas comes in July or August here, so... <laughs> wow,
0: Yeah, uh, it, it, uh, that's interesting, but when you deal with a, a country that's different, like, uh, like India or Emirates, um, mm-hmm. you know, so when you're doing facial reconstructions and things, things like that, is it kind of different in different countries? I don't know how it's to put it, but um, is it a different way of approaching the crime?
1: You know, crime is crime no matter where you go. They they just have different titles for it. If you go to these different agencies in different countries, their websites, they'll describe, they'll call something, I don't know, you know, take your pick and you start reading the elements of whatever crime it is. You go, oh, that's robbery. Why don't they just call it robbery? But they, they have their, their terminology and a lot of it depends upon... You know what countries' legal system they're they're adapting. You know, uh, some places like India, they're very British because the British, uh, because of the British influence initially. Um, but you know, the technique is the same in terms of how we approach it. Uh, some of the uh, biological information, in terms of tissue depth studies and such, on on India people, you know, because of steered by their diet, lifestyle, things like that, versus an, an American versus uh, you know, you talk to an anthropologists. Take any of the different races and such, and, and the the information may be different on each one of them. But otherwise, the approach is the same. Uh,
2: before you said that uh, you know, crime is crime, but policing isn't really policing everywhere else. Was there, and and you've you've been to different places: Egypt, Kosovo, India. Is there a, is there a police force that you know you're particularly impressed with in, in how they proceed and what they do, their processes?
1: Well, for me. From both a forensic standpoint and a, and a business standpoint, I was attracted to India, for example, because they use police sketches on a consistent basis. If um, I were to per, put the a Google search term in "police sketch," composite sketch, or whatever, most of the cases would come up uh, in India. So, they actually have a stated intent. Their government really wants more police sketch artists trained because they see that as a viable tool. Uh, so, the, but the problem is, is they like most countries and most police agencies when they're tasked with investigating a crime and somebody says we need a sketch they start looking at it. okay who can draw do you know anybody can draw well I know so and so and back in the day back in the 20s and 30s when it first started out here in the. US they oftentimes police oftentimes used um, cartoon artists for newspapers and such um, you know if they're in New York New York Times say you have an editorial cartoonist you've got a um, you know you've got someone that can draw on staff um, you know, bring him down to the police station and and uh, and draw this this sketch and such. So, uh, we're on the ground floor of training. You know, forensic artists in India, uh, the, the most modern techniques and technology available in terms of you know, creating police sketches. And um, yeah, I'm I'm really happy with with how they're proceeding. Do Do you
0: notice a difference when uh, when people themselves are witnesses and they're trying to describe? Um, uh, as, as someone that they saw. Um, I, I guess for me, I just I just can't believe how you can take because witnesses are so um, inconsistent. They're not always the best. And well, I, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say. So when you have that, how do you know what's what's real and what isn't? You know what I'm saying? It's kind of a a big variation there. Whether they're lying or not? (laughs) Well, well, whether they're lying or whether they just. There's so many people that will give witness to things after the fact that make mistakes. And without even calling them a liar, sometimes it's just. There's an
2: unreliability there.
0: Yeah, they don't remember it the way it really is. And sometimes uh, it's because of the stress or trauma or who knows. I I just wonder if that. um, How you, as a sketcher of that. Determines the truth, sort of. I I, I I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, but
1: no. And, and the thing is, is that in in most cases, I I can tell you the amount of people that I sit and talk to that make stuff up, so to speak, for whatever whatever their motivation is. Is that you know they were like kids, for example. If they're late for the bus and they miss the bus, they don't want to get in trouble with the, their teacher or their parents, so they'll say some man tried to grab them. On the way to the bus, and next thing you know, the police are out there. The community's going crazy. Got to get a composite sketch, and, and there's something that I don't feel right about in terms of the consistency of the statement the kid gives. They do a more of a drill down, find out, yeah, uh, you know, wife maybe having an affair, comes home late, husband's like, where were you? I was raped, and all of a sudden, you know, this it kicks in this investigation, and here, here I am again. You know, most first, you know, if you take you know people's motivation for not being truthful out of the equation and I have detectives ask me you know was the person being truthful and, and I my answer is always you know I'm not a human lie detector and if you think that they're not being truthful because I think being a liar is pretty harsh but if they're being untruthful for whatever reason and, and they're humans they they have fears and different things like that and some are pretty nefarious they're just kind of spiteful people but um, I, I tell them, if, if you think that that's the problem, then they shouldn't be sitting in front of me. You shouldn't have gone to this step. You should find a way to, you know, take care of that on your own. But in terms of just general unreliability, you know, people process trauma and they process what they see differently based upon their life experiences and such. Um, a, a person who is a victim who has been to war. And gets robbed may not be as traumatized by the incident as someone who's maybe lives a more sheltered life and, and and isn't exposed to certain types of people and and uh, different types of situations and such. Um, and you know uh, unreliability and, and tainted memories occurs post-event. So as soon as that event happens and people start making suggestions and people start you know monkeying with their memory so to speak uh, by asking them questions, leading questions and such, I think. Most of the unreliability in terms of eyewitness testimony um, lies with the people who are tasked with recovering that memory. In other words, the police, the police composite artist, Whoever is charged with mining that memory, so to speak, has to mine it properly and be trained to do so and, and have a certain mindset. Uh, otherwise eyewitnesses are going to remain wholly unreliable on a large scale.
2: Yeah, I mean, that must be tough to to reconcile the two. I mean, it's not your responsibility to to be the lie detector test, but, I mean, you know that there is some unreliability there. I mean, have you ever had a drawing of yours that led to an event, you know, based on bad eyewitness testimony, someone being arrested, an innocent innocent person for that crime?
1: Yes, yes, actually. um, Now, now I will say, you know, I'm one of the – you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate in the fact that I was a police officer for 31 years before, you know, I, I have the, like 10 years investigative experience. I retired as a sergeant back in 2008. And I actually, my career as a police sketch artist paralleled that of my career as a police officer. So, you know, when I first started, um, you know, training as a police sketch artist to receive my training. And, and I've been a believer in this for a long time that there should be some sort of, internship or in some sort of, you know, being brought along. In other words, you know, you handle sketches on minor cases, you know, misdemeanors and some little low-grade felonies, and you gain that experience talking to people to where you work your way up to a murder. And one of my first cases was a murder case in the city of Orange. Uh, it was a murder robbery, and I was actually working patrol that night when it happened. And the whole upshot of the thing was is... I had an eyewitness uh, that was traumatized. It was one of these crimes where they were, it was after shift at a Burger King restaurant. Uh, it was a takeover robbery. Robber went in the closing, jumped the counter, herded everybody at gunpoint into a walk in freezer, took one of the employees out, stuck a gun to his head, marched into the office, and shot and killed the manager right in front of this eyewitness. Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, that sketch was very difficult in terms of working with the eyewitness. I had a, lot of I had a little bit of experience uh, as a street cop, but in terms of developing my, my intuition, so to speak, uh, it was still raw at that point. And along the way, there was another sketch that came in to it, and then there was some other, there was some eyewitness identification, there was a trial, and the person was convicted. And the person spent uh, 18, almost 20 years in prison. And information came out that it wasn't actually him, it was another inmate. And uh, curiously enough, I'd actually done a second sketch of somebody, purportedly the same person. The first sketch looked like the wrongfully convicted person. The second sketch actually looked like the person they believed that it was. Unfortunately, there were so many things messed up in the investigation along the way, both during the investigation and after the investigation that even if it was a second person, they wouldn't be able to be prosecuted. It's an amazing story because the first person who was convicted, wrongfully convicted, was released from prison, got a lot of help, got a lot, you know got some money, which he certainly deserved. I don't think you can give someone who's wrongfully incarcerated enough money to pay them back for the time. But he invested his money in a string of ATM machines, moved to Hawaii, had this beautiful home on the water. I mean, he was doing really well, only to be killed one night riding his moped around the island, uh, it was just, you know, it's just a sad story. Goes to prison, gets out, makes bank, and then gets killed in a, just, a, just a screwy accident, you know. And that didn't necessarily change the way I approached uh, cases. All I knew is I just needed to learn that much more. And so now I bring my experience into the interview as both a police investigator as just a, as a human being who really loves people, and um, I just listen that much more carefully.
0: Hmm. Now, I was looking at your website and uh, sketchcop dot mm-hmm. uh, You have all sorts of things going on here. Um, so yes, I do. <laughs> you do. I remember I talked to you about it a little bit before. You have a uh, software as well for um, sketchcop. What's that all about?
1: Well, there are not a lot of trained, skilled police sketch artists around. I know some people take umbrage with that uh, because they love what they do and they try very hard. But um, I I just don't think there's enough trained, qualified ones around. So to fill that gap, we created a facial composite software called SketchTop Facial Composite Software. And it has uh, hand-drawn components, so when the investigator or the civilian employee or whoever within that police organization wants to learn how to interview people and can use a computer, they can create a sketch that's every bit as effective as that drawn by a police sketch artist. Because it used to be that you had to have, like, every facial feature known to man in this big, wide database, and it was just impossible for people to process through that many Facial features. You talk about like layering false memory and, and creating a false image. You want to you want to do that, and show them 10,000 features to pick from. So finally, you know, programs like Adobe Photoshop, you know, some of the Corel products and stuff caught up. So you could have a, a, a robust database and and have someone create a composite. And with pen tablets and these electronic styluses and such, even without artistic skills. They could go in and use the software tools to, to nudge a feature here and there, uh, erase some of the hair and repurpose it and such to to where they could create a credible a credible image that law enforcement could use.
0: It, it, when you say um, there isn't a lot out there that are trained, is that just a lot of people? Is there any training that they go through? Or how do you, how do you get a job as a sketch cop?
1: Well, it's really interesting because. It used to be there were you know several large police agencies that had you know full-time sketch artists, and as time goes by and uh, you know there's more cameras out there, uh, you know both cell phone cameras and CCTV security cameras and such. That now you're seeing more video images, even though most of it they're poor video images uh, that are out there instead of police sketches. And so I think what's happened is is that police have come to rely on DNA. Uh, videos and such that they just, in their I think they're a little bit frightened of unreliable eyewitnesses, that they just don't do as many sketches as they used to. So you see a lot of the full-time sketch artists being replaced by either, you know, our software uh, or they just don't do it at all.
0: So is there no academy or anything like that? What kind of training would you get if, if you want it to be one? Where would you go? Well,
1: well, there are, there are some private vendors that teach, you know, former sketch artists that teach their classes. As a matter of fact, we're revving up to put some classes together both here online and, and overseas. Um, but again, you know, once you're trained, if you're not with a law enforcement agency, uh, you're going to have a hard time, you know, uh, you know, peddling your skills, so to speak, uh, with law enforcement agencies. And I just tell people, look, it doesn't matter if you're... A volunteer, if you're the chief secretary, you're an evidence technician, a police officer, just get employed by a police department. Once you're employed by a police department, you can bust out your portfolios, hey, I want to be a police sketch artist, or I've had this training, you know, give me a shot. And that's that's where it usually you know starts from. I think I think that's people's best opportunity um uh you know to get noticed and to be able to do the work.
0: So I I, I just wonder if um with all of the kind of backlash with the police and stuff and the, the defunding and
1: all that sort of stuff going on, um, is this
0: one of the areas that will get cut, do you
1: think? Not if they go about it smart, and I, say that, and I say that because, you know, I will go on record saying I'm a trained freehand sketch artist, old school. I learned from some of the masters at the FBI and, uh, you know, some of the best in the business that were just on the ground floor of this. They were They were very intuitive. They were great people. Uh, person, so to speak. Uh, they were incredible artists and they just had a knack for this. And so I spent my early years flying around the country, uh, you know, studying under the best. That being said, um, I think that um, it takes a lot to train somebody, it takes a lot of money to train somebody, it takes a lot of years to get them to where they're really skilled and really good in most cases, not all cases. So I think, what, I think the software is attractive because we built a software program that creates images that aren't going to get snickers in the media, you know, like a lot of them do these days. And it's easy to use, and I provide the training, and I'm probably one of the most experienced police sketch artists in the world, so you know, I stand behind my product by training it. And I think it's an attractive alternative, a cost-effective alternative for police to consider because you may not use it every day. But when you use it, when you have to use it, you want to trust the fact that it's going to, you know, you're going to be able to create something that's going to be effective and that people are going to take notice and not stand around and look and, and laugh at.
0: So your book, Drawing a Line Against Crime, um, what, what do we need to know about that? Like, what, what would someone um, get that book for? What are they going to get?
1: Well, if they ever wondered how police sketch artists works, they're going to find out. They're going to find out a little bit about my background, what got me into it. They're going to find out about the psychology of, you know, creating a sketch, what goes into it. Uh, they're going to learn a little bit about the history of sketching. They're going to learn some uh, safety tips that uh, that go across generations. But most of all, for those that are, that are true crime junkies and want to see how these are put into play and how they help solve cases. Uh, Some of my most notable cases are outlined in that book in in several chapters and such. Uh, I've been fortunate slash unfortunate to take part and be part of many major investigations, both here in Southern California and across the country. And I think uh, you you get a little bit of everything with this book, but I think when you get done reading it, you walk away with a sense of, of now you know what goes into these police sketches when you see them on the news and the person behind it.
2: And before you just said that you've worked on some high-profile cases, I'll 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 name-drop a couple just for you: um, the Samantha Runyon abduction and murder, uh, the Orange County, uh, excuse me, the Orange County fortune teller murder, um, just to name a couple. Um, and we don't want to give away what's in the content of the book. We'll make people buy it. But um, is there an unsolved case in your ledger? Um, Excuse me. Is there an unsolved case in your ledger that, you know, you think could be easily solved if a brighter light was shined on it?
1: You know, there was a case actually in the book um, that was one of my most frustrating unsolved that uh, was finally solved. Um, But no, I don't have any one right now because, you know, thankfully, those high profile ones, those ones that seem to make the news, um, are, are few and far between for sketch artists now because I think mostly they're relying on DNA. But you know, most of the cases I work on, um, you know, television programs, you know, and, and, and such, they pick cases by the ones that are going to get the highest ratings, by the ones that have the most you know appeal. And I don't have that luxury, nor would I want to have that luxury. Um, I. I, you know, what's important, I guess, is all relative. And to me, they're all important, solved, unsolved, or, or you know, however. Um, I have an agent, law enforcement agency calls me and they need me. It doesn't make any difference if that case never makes the paper. That's just as important as some of the top cases you're seeing in the headlines today.
2: And what about going back in the past? I mean, it, I'm a, tri, a true crime consumer, so, I, you know, I absolutely, you know, really... Look at old. I, I like looking at old cases. Have you ever done that and made a sketch for an old one, or have revisited a case with a sketch and came out with something just absolutely different from the, the original sketch?
1: Um, no, I haven't. But you know, it's, it's really uh, interesting. I, you know, I've, I've got a I've got a second book that's almost finished right now. I've got to buff it up in a couple areas. I'm sure Alan can appreciate that. And you look at it and go, I eh, need to know a little bit more about this, that, and the other before I do it. And um, I took out a case the other day that was a local case here of a woman who was shot and killed and her body dumped by the side of the road. And she was dressed really nice. She just had her nails freshly done. But she's, to my knowledge, is still unidentified. And there was like two or three different sketches done by different artists on her. And as a matter of fact, I created a a photo montage um, reconstruction, on her and she's yet to be ID'd. So I'd like to go back and revisit that case and take some of the 3D facial reconstruction, some of the other technology that's been updated since then and totally redo that case and put out a a final image that's going to stick with that case until she gets identified. So that is one out of all the cases I looked at the other day of, of ones I'd like to work on, ones I've worked on before that I'd like to redo. I can't believe someone's not missing her because she, She didn't appear to be a homeless person. She didn't appear to be somebody that would fall through the cracks, so to speak, someone who was, like, marginalized or lived a high-risk lifestyle. She just looked like a regular person that had a good life, and something happened along the way. She got murdered and dumped. So You could always do the Zodiac. (laughs) Yeah, I I guess I could. Uh, (laughs) There's there's, there's a case that's been rehashed. I thought there was a show where they are supposed to... Track the code or something on that. I know they every so often they have these shows where they hire these uh, former detectives that, that relook at these cases. Which I think a fresh set of eyes is always healthy in these cases. And I think if the technology advances, I, there's kind of a taboo thing where you know we don't redo another artist's sketch. And I I tried to live by that for that code for a long time. And sometimes you know these cases are you know so important to solve that if you have a skill or technology that The previous artist didn't have and you feel like you might have been able to do it a little bit better based upon training and such that you're almost obligated to to jump in and try to help solve it somehow
0: huh it's pretty interesting uh so so what do you think the um most important thing about this job has been for you
1: you know it's given me a chance to take a skill that i've developed i mean i had I had raw art skills as a child and, you know, developing into adulthood, and I've been thankful that I've been able to stick with it to, you know, long enough to, to further develop my skills and grow with the training and technology and such to where I'm able to give back somehow. Uh, I do enjoy drawing. Um, I, you know, I like, I mean, if, in my perfect world, I'd be a cartoonist. i um, make people smile and laugh. Um, but in a way, I, I get a chance to help people smile again, too, with this type of uh, profession because I'm able to create art that I believe has meaning, and not to disrespect artists out there. They're creating you know their life's work or what their calling is and such because I think it's all important. Um, but I think at the same time, um, I'm just thankful I'm, I'm able to give meaning to something like this.
0: So what you, So what's your advice for someone that if they want to get into this area Today, nowadays, what what way should they go about it?
1: I think, like I said before, they should uh, endeavor to work with law enforcement in some capacity. That gets you in the door, and once you're in the door, then you find people who are the best at what they do, and you try to mentor. You know, have you know develop, create a mentor relationship. And then learn. I think too many people these days they want to go from like you know A to famous, you know A to F, and, and, and skip all the all the spots in between. And um, I, I don't know that that's a healthy way of approaching it, but it just seems like everybody wants things now, now, now. Um, but my best advice would be, you know, position yourself properly, and then listen and learn. And realize that you're never going to know uh, everything about it because things are going to change. Um, people love you know. People are artists are very heavily invested in the type of art they do, which is fine. Uh, but this isn't that type of art. So you have to embrace technology. You have to know a little bit about science. But so most of all, you have to be a people person. You have to love people. So um, I have some people that say, "Well, I don't. You know, I'm not comfortable dealing with people." Great. You know That doesn't mean you can't be a forensic artist, be a facial reconstructionist, be an age progression specialist, something where you have limited contact with people. But if you're going to draw police sketches from an eyewitness description, you better be able to check your ego at the door and enjoy people and be a, a great communicator. Otherwise, you'll fail if, if you make it just about you and your art. It's just not that.
2: And technology has changed policing in so many ways i mean we've touched on it a, a bunch of times with covid with the obvious with, with zoom and, and, and what you're and how you're dealing with your um with, with facial imaging now um your software that you've touched on as well and the latest is genealogy with, with capturing the golden state killer and where do you where do you see facial imaging going and really the incorporation of technology and in, in policing where, where do you see that going in the future?
1: Well, I think there's a big fight. Right? The future initially, or lately, I should say, has been with facial recognition and, uh, you know, programs like that that try to prov- provide investigative leads. But you have those complicated by, you know, accusations of, of, of bias, of, you know, uh, problems with the algorithms and things like that. And people forget that these are just tools. These aren't absolutes. And, and I think, you know, as long as you have a human element, to it, you're always going to have mistakes that are made and or intentional, you know, problems with it. It's not something, it's like trying to, it's, it's, try, it's like, you know, I'm going to wade into gun control here, for example. If, if, you know, people talk about guns. Well, the gun is just the, the vehicle and the tool for why, by which nefarious people use to, you know, hurt someone else. they didn't have a gun, they'd grab a table leg or a lawn chair or something, and beat the hell out of somebody. But, if you have somebody that wants to take a facial recognition program, and skew it towards a particular individual. That's not a problem with the technology. That's a problem with the person on the other end. Um, I think that um, I think that genealogy, the forensic genealogy, is a, a great thing. Uh, but I think what's happening with uh, my field, so to speak, is that they're dismissing, you know, facial composites and facial identification issues. Like um, they say, why do a facial reconstruction if we've got DNA? We can just do genealogy. Well, you may or may not get. To that destination, or it may take you much longer. So why not employ a forensic artist to create an image that will help you get to that endpoint that much quicker? Before someone else is murdered or killed, or you know. Um, so I, I think that um, there are there's still room for using facial identification as a viable investigative tool, regardless of what else is out there. For example, you can use facial uh, composites. In facial recognition software systems to come up with probable candidates. Uh, you could employ it in, uh, if you, with forensic genealogy and DNA, if you get a probable area a person might hail from, you can put that sketch of that reconstruction out in that particular area and flood the media and, and get a name. So I think they're all complements to one another. I just don't know that um, this generation of law enforcement understands the value or how to use them properly. And that's obviously where I come in.
2: Now, l- let me preface this next question that I'm going to give you a line. I'm going to allow you to plead the fifth, but I hope that you don't um, okay. w- We've touched on, on that that facial imaging it's a combination of art and science, maybe a little bit more art than actual science which which can lead to some problems um, when it comes to sketching. Was there ever a drawing that you just got completely wrong?
1: Oh yeah and, and nothing I mean I can't remember and, the and exact what do you do with that? I'm sorry.
2: And how do you and what do you do with that? You know.
1: Oh, well, you know, I, um, I I think that, I mean, it'd be easy to blame the eyewitness and say, well, it's their fault, not mine. I'm just the person that draws what they tell me. Um, but I think that I bear some responsibility, too, because I may not li- have listened as well. Um, I may not have picked the right victim. I'll give you an example. Um, I had a, a multiple eyewitness case of a robbery. and. There was maybe like three people that I interviewed, and this person, this one person, was so sure that she saw the guy, she knew what he looked like, and kind of stepped all over the other people. And unfortunately, I used most of her information because I disregarded the other ones. And so the detective told me, he said, "Yeah, we caught the guy, but it looks looked nothing like the sketch." And I had to agree; it looked it looked absolutely nothing like the sketch. So I learned a lot from that, and the fact that. Um, You know, that maybe your most loudest, most boastful, most sure, most confident eyewitnesses may not be the best. I learned um also not to let the detectives pick my eyewitnesses for me that I'm going to interview. So have I gotten it wrong? Of course I've gotten it wrong. And thankfully, um it didn't lead to consequences of another person's you know spending their life in prison that didn't deserve to be there.
0: Mm. Well, Michael it's been great. So now the best place for people to get a hold of you would be at the sketchcop.com website.
1: Yes, they can uh, there's a contact form there. They can uh, reach me uh, through sketchcop.com. Uh, they can also reach me via social media. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram and I'm on Twitter, all the same handle at the sketchcop um, they can go to my website to get the book, look at the software, learn a little bit more about me. Uh, if, it's, if it's a family or law enforcement agency looking for my help, they can get that there as well. And again, just look up on the, the, the menu bar, that you'll see a contact page and, and just click, you know, input all your information, click send and I'll get it.
0: Fantastic. And we'll have that up on our website as well, so people can do one click and uh, find the Sketch Cop. So it's been a pleasure. Um, our guest was oh, been so my Thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much for having me, guys. Have a great day. You too.
0: To find out more about our show,
1: guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive,
0: please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission
1: has been completed. The end.
0: By George, he's got it. It is the end. I'll see you.
1: If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production
0: of Something Weird Media.